Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tuned into the freshest 30 minutes in podcast land, the God Chases podcast in over a hundred countries. My guest this week, he on triple OG status, legend status, <laughs> triple quadruple OG status, legend status. He's been in the Christian hip hop realm. For over a decade, maybe even two decades, I believe it's two decades, he's been mentoring young men and women from afar, he's been all over the world doing his thing for Christ, has a keen sense of business, kingdom business, kingdom minded, he just had a super successful album release, crowdfunding project, and now under his belt he can put author my guest this week the incomparable the infamous kj52 what's up brother oh man i i wish i had a gold star i'd give it to you for that intro that is incredible thank you sir man so so you know what i told you before we started this that i'm gonna go a whole nother way with this podcast because um one of the the main people who listen to it are people who have a a spirit of entrepreneurship and i think they're building brands and things like that and we're going to get to the book we're going to get to the album we're going to get all that but first i want to know what is your approach when you start to create your content because you got a lot of stuff out um i i guess they would call it market research i just kind of go you know just keep my ear to the fan base you know, like, what are they into? What makes sense at this point in my career? Uh, what do I see other people in similar situations doing? You know, I guess you would call that all market research, I guess. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of what I do. And then I look at, you know, people that have maybe done it already and where have they had success, where have they had failure, um, what's their, you know, nuts and bolts of how they're doing it. And uh, and then and then usually I pull the trigger. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, and I know you see a lot of, um, artists and, and authors and, and people in the Christian arena just doing things and you see a lot of failures too so what do you think yeah. uh, people's biggest downfall is when they create content? Uh, it's probably being uh, unrealistic you know what I mean? Having lofty goals that just aren't really attainable. Like what? Give, and, an, give an example Like, because- um, Well I'll be honest with you man there's a guy that I I can't say I based my book launch on, but I observed what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't, a, he's not a Christian hip hop artist, but he's a mainstream artist. He's a guy by the name of uh, MC Search from a group called Third Base. Third Base, yeah. The Gas I, Face. Yeah, I used to be, exactly. I used to be really into him as a kid. Um, I saw that he was putting out a book slash album. So I looked at what he was doing and I thought, oh man, it's really similar to what I want to do. Um, but he had never done a, a crowdfund. Um, he didn't have a huge social media presence. He had a lot of great content, you know what I mean? Like phenomenal stories that I had always tuned into and listened to. Um, hadn't really done much music-wise, but, you know, I think his, his idea was to do a book. But he set his Kickstarter goal so incredibly high. I think it was like $80,000. Wow. And I looked at that and went, yeah, man, you're not going to hit that. Like, you don't even have the social media presence to do it. You know, the way you're rolling out your stuff. I mean, I even, you know, I put down money to fund it, but I, you know, he might have hit, I don't know, 5% of his goal or something. And that's with like really big endorsement. But it just kind of showed that 
you know, he's applying an old mentality sort of to a new school way of doing things, and it just doesn't translate. So I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do it, I better do it very realistic, you know? Right, right. And uh, yeah. that was just one time where I was like, that's an example of what to do and not to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so that's, I think that goes into market research, too. You know, people downfall yeah. is being unrealistic because they haven't researched yeah. the market. And right. with your research, because you've had a podcast, I think you still got it. I remember KJ52 podcast, the five, yeah. no, 52 podcast. Then you had the 52 TV. I mean, you had a lot of a lot of content over the years. So how do you stay yeah. consistent? Like, is is it all mental? Is it scheduling? Is it? Like what's the what's the consistency? Do you just feel like a urgency in your heart to if you don't you die? Like what is it? <laughs> uh, well, I mean I'm big on to do lists. I know that sounds weird, but like every day I write a to do list, every day I rewrite my to do list. Um, I'm always in a constant state of writing things down that I want to accomplish. Uh, I'm always jotting ideas. Um, you know, I think that's kind of biblical where you know you get a vision, you write it down. So I'm always doing that uh but then i'll you know i'll do three month goals six month goals one year goals i will just you know i just keep that as a constant thing i mean literally as i'm driving in the car my my to-do list journal is sitting next to me mm. like i keep it probably as close to me as my bible you know what i mean mm. um because it's not just about just writing a to-do list and checking things off i mean it's about jotting down ideas constantly you know what i mean so i think sometimes we fail to catch that wave while it's while it's riding you know what i mean and so i think we kind of miss it um but that's just how i've lived my life for years and years and years no uh, it, it's facts because the first time i met you um and i didn't know you knew who i was which was really big for me because i'm like i just got this look the the little label that could and you knew certain projects that i released and that that was like in uh 07 and 08 yeah and you and i was like holy crap this dude knows knows what i'm doing but the thing you asked me was this you was like well what's your uh five-year goal with god chasers and at the yeah. time, that thing blew me away. I'm like, who asks these questions? Who does that? What, what? <laughs> like, he didn't ask me about yeah. beats. He didn't ask me about rhymes. He just like, what's your goals? So that's that's really well, big. Well, I mean, I, you know, I mean, those things are super important too. I think it's just we put the cart before the horse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I would love to talk about beats and rhymes and stuff like that. But if if you're just sort of buckshot shooting, what's the point? You know, like it's it's easier to just work backwards. You know. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where it came down to me for for years. I can't say I was always like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think over time I've learned how to be that way. But, you know, probably some of my personality lends itself to the challenge. Like, I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy being told, nah, you probably can't do that. Or, or just finding new challenges to conquer. So, you know, I'm not going to be like, Anybody could do this. I mean, certain people are just more driven to do that. It's mm. inherent in them. Just like some people can run faster or some people can shoot three-pointer better. I think we can all get better. Um, we all have certain principles we can live by. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I enjoy it, you know? Yeah, um, I get it, yeah. I mean, but then again, like, like I get stressed. Like, I, I had a show two nights ago, and I, I thought I had lost my journal. And then... 
like I was really stressed thinking about that because I thought, dang, like I'm I'm gonna lose a ton of work in there. And it's not that I like try to be old school. I just know like study show, like if you write something down, you just remember it better. Mm. You know? Mm. So That's good. And yeah. and and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, kingdompreneurs would take that to heart. And I think that's a key thing, writing the vision down, making it plain. But I know you have yep. been building a platform and, and God has really built it. But you have been stewarding your platform for so many years. And there are so many new people in the spaces of podcasting, in the spaces of being an author or new artist or whatever. What would you tell these new people on how to really build their tribe up? Yeah. Um, I think before you can build them up, you kind of have to establish who is it. You know what I mean? And then, it's, again, it's like working backwards. It's easier once you do that. Um, and, and a lot of times people go, well, I don't even know what that is. I think realistically your tribe usually looks like yourself. Mm. That's just the reality of it. Like what you're into, They're into someone it. else is probably into it. You know what I mean? And, and you know, it's just easier to start small. It feels frustrating to start small at first. Um, but find the people that are similar to you. You know right. what I mean? And that can be, that can be ethnic. That can be a uh, method that could be style wise. That could even just be down to how you dress. Right. You know? Um, and if you do that, then it's a little easier. And, you know, the reality is, I think most of us already have that. We just didn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We take for granted the people that are so like us or so rocking with us. And then we, you know, and then we just, we don't think there's anybody there. You mm. know what I mean? And I think, here's the other thing, too. Like, I think a lot of times we want to hit everything. And we have to realize that. You know, you kind of control how big your your pond is that you're going to fish in. Mm. I think we don't realize that. Like, if you make super underground music, but you're frustrated because you're financially struggling. It's like, what do you want? Like, what do you expect? You, you have know, research in my life and my. There's yeah, no research. I mean, there's, yeah. life, there's no research. Like, there's points in my life and career where I had to go. If I want to make this bigger there's going to be some things that I'm going to have to compromise on that I don't want to. Mm. But if the compromise justifies, you know, what I'm going to gain, then I'm going to do it and I'm not going to complain about it. You know, I'm going to just realize that, go for it. So again, you know what I mean? Like you just have to look at what, what am I trying to do? How can I do it better? Is there some things that I need to kind of let go of? I mean, again, with the book, again, this is, the book is a good example. And I'm not doing that because I have a book, but I mean, the book is a good example because I realized that my book actually did better than my documentary. Yeah, you have a movie. And it wasn't. Yeah. Right. But but I'm saying it. it's not like one is necessarily aesthetically better than the other. It's just my fan base and my tribe. They're just more prone to books. I mean, the church world they're is more, more book driven yeah. than they are. Than, yeah. than a documentary. Documentaries are for, you know, high sort of high intellectual thought process, you know what I mean? And by and large, the church world is not that. You, 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 know said, so, you said something, not not to cut you off, but you said something so important. I want I want to touch on it because this, this is how I feel right now. Like, you've been in game 
for m- multiple years, same as me. We're we we both love Jesus. Let's talk about money. Absolutely. Let's talk about money because I I think we have done the Christian world have done us a disservice talking about money, the importance of it, how it's supposed right. to be looked at. Like we're not supposed yep. to to have money as a master, but money is there. Money is needed. Money is needed in ministry. What is your sure. thought process? on the financial aspect of creating content? Like, how do you handle money? Yeah. Well, I had a conversation with a guy that I can pinpoint where it really changed my thought process, right? Okay. Um, the guy is the name, his name is Roy Morgan. Uh, if you Google him, you'll find out, you know, he's the head of Premier Productions. You don't know Premier, yep. Premier Productions. They do Winter Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably have the monolith on live events and Christian music right now. But super humble guy, very approachable, very nice. I've always had a good relationship with him. I've done Winter Jam twice. I ran into him at a thing called GMA, which is no longer around. And I somehow or another sat down and I was talking to him. And he just said something sort of offhand, or he asked me a question. And uh, he said, he said, what's more important, money or ministry? And my mentality at the time was to go, well, obviously ministry is more important than money, right? He said, you're wrong. He said, with no money, there's no ministry. He said, so money is more important than ministry, not in the sense of its value, but in the sense of when you put that as a priority of, you know, earning a profit, you know, doing things efficiently, uh, you know, making money so you can continue to make money, reinvesting your money. He said, then you'll always have ministry. He didn't say all that in detail, but that's essentially what he was conveying. And when he told me that, it made me rethink everything. Mm. And on the surface, it sounds blasphemous. But the reality is, once you understand it in the right context, it, it made total sense. It made sense why they're still around. Not only around, they're thriving. Right. And, but if I sat and talked to the guy, there's no airs about him. There's no bouginess. There's no attitude of, I'm a millionaire and you're not. Like, he has everything in the right place. And once I kind of flipped that, I have to say that that really helped me. You know what I mean? And I think if more Christians could have a balanced view and really flip that, they would actually be in a better state. You know what I mean? How, how but would, that's a hard, how, a hard I, one to swallow. How would, how would you advise kingdompreneurs to handle their money when making new content? Like, how would you tell them to handle it? You mean they're making a podcast or just doing anything? anything like they they want to do a new a new project they, any type of project sure. book anything how would you tell them to handle money well i would say do it with the idea that you're going to earn a profit i think that's your goal your goal is to earn a profit so you got to figure out how to do that um i mean the specifics of that are <laughs> gigantic you know what i mean it's to say what that would mean because it depends on what the thing you're trying to do is but your goal should be to be in a surplus mm. so then you have to go well what's my cost Okay, my costs are gigantic. Okay, how can I do my cost and have quality but do it in a cheaper way? You know what I mean? That, um, boom. And that's, that's that the right there is product? the boom. That's the boom. How can I do a great yeah, product people, in a cheaper way? That's the boom. Yeah, that's the problem. You know what I mean? that Most people can't figure that out. Or they don't try to figure that out. Or they don't even know that you should try to figure that out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I and you know I mean? So, if the goal is... All, see, that's the beauty is that I have now, all I'm now releasing projects almost quarterly or almost biannually, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is now, because I keep doing that and I keep going with it, and some do better than others, obviously, 
but now they're actually funding the other products. It's like, you know, I hate to say the drug dealer term, but you, you know, you're re-upping your money, so to speak. You're right. taking the money made, and instead of going out and spending it on frivolous stuff, you're just reinvesting it. The more you keep reinvesting it, the more it starts to earn its own thing to where now that my Spotify streams or my streams are, you know, I, the money that I'm making off that, which is now becoming actually surprisingly, it's not a, like a retirement amount, but it's enough that I can now fund projects. Mm. So for instance, I was able to take, while I was doing the book, take, you know, my catalog money and just keep reinvesting it into the book. So it was covering the cost of the book as I was making the book. Mm. So then the money that I made from the Kickstarter was almost all profit. Mm. You know what I mean? Which, in some cases, is great because when you hit a lull financially, that yeah. helps. Surplus. You got surplus. Yeah. So exactly. So you know, I mean, making money as a creative, it's not a steady paycheck. It's ups and downs. It's feast and famine. You know what I mean? And you got to always plan for that. You know what I'm saying? So well, with the I'm now realizing. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go. You're you're realizing. No, I, that, that was it. I was just realizing that, like, over the last two years, I've just continuously, you know, and I'm not necessarily trying to hit everybody anymore. I'm just going, what does my core fan base look like, right? Mm-hmm. And even then, there's tears to that, right? So I know my most hardcore fan is going to spend money on my Kickstarter, right? right, or my Pledge Music, or my crowdfund. Like, that's the most intense fan, right? My second degree fan is like the fan that maybe they don't even know how to work a Kickstarter, right? It's just, it's too much technology. But when the project drops, they'll buy it off my website, right? That's like my second tier fan. My third tier fan is just the peripheral fan. Now that fan, either because maybe they're technologically challenged or they're too lazy, or they're just not that intense of a KJ fan or a casual fan, or maybe they were a fan 10 years ago and they just haven't kept up with me that casual fan is like my third wave fan. So that's the ones I'm hitting when I put it out on all the distribution channels. But see, most artists go straight to the third wave fan, right? Mm. They go, I did a song, I paid for the song, I did an album, I paid for the album, and I put it on Spotify, and now I can't figure out why I can't break even. Go. You know what I'm saying? Go. Like I, you drop, you dropping gems, bro. You dropping gems. Let- now, granted, now here's the only thing. It's, it's sort of unfair for me to say this, because I've been around for 20 years full-time, right? Right. So obviously what I have to draw from is infinitely different than an artist standing out. Right. You know, starting out. So their fan base looks the same. It's just way smaller. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean the principles of what I'm saying don't apply. That's right. You know? That's right. So whereas my, you know, my hardcore fan base may equal, you know, 5,000 people maybe maybe 2,000 people. I don't know what the actual numbers would be. Yours might be 10 people. That's still 10 people. Yeah. Those 10 people could all give 100 bucks. That's $1,000. That's right. 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 So. Well, let, let me switch again, gears that's, that's re- real quick. Operate. Real quick before we, yeah. we, we jump off. The book is called What Happened Was. And I'm going to yeah. just say this. It's 24 chapters of stories and what it did for me it gave me a deeper um appreciation for not 
just your music but who you are as a man of god and when you read this book you you you'll know like this dude is really he's really saved even though we never thought it you know kj52 is really saved i mean we knew (laughs) (laughs) one story that stuck out to me was the thing about the the dove awards and how I'm not going to give away what happened, but I'll just say... Well, it's okay. You can talk about it. He, I don't mind. He, no, I, the reason I don't want to talk about it because I want people to go get the book so they can read it for themselves. So, everybody listening, it's called What Happened Was Get It From uh, KJ52. Where, where can they get it from before I finish Well, I mean, an easy one to remember is KJ52Book.com. KJ52Book. I mean, there you go. Yeah, it's now up on Amazon. It's now up on Audible. If you're into audiobooks. Uh, you know, it's on iTunes. All like all those Kindle, good places. So what yeah, he, what the major he, outlets is up there. What he did was he felt that he didn't deserve an award from a major award uh entity in the Christian arena. So he sent it to another artist and just said, Don't say anything, keep this between us. And I mean, it's so full of stories and the background stories of of his life. And if you're a fan of Christian rap, you're going to see a lot of familiar names. I didn't see my name and I didn't expect to, but it would have been nice. So I wrote my name in the book anyway. I said, I just put a line. I met Brinson in 2007 or something like that. But it's it's such a great read. And I, I if you if you read my book, 10 Things Every Christian Hip Hop Artist Should Know, his book reads like mine because I, I just I think I like books that get to the point quickly and, and yeah. he has a lot of uh, uh, points that that he get to quickly without a lot of fluff like the fluff can can leave so yeah this i think this is an important book for the community as uh entrepreneurs kingdompreneurs just to study how successful a crowdfunding can go and how someone who's been doing it for over 20 years have done it and see the heart behind it and if you love reading stories about the glory of god and how god can operate and it will encourage you um yeah uh i just i just say get get this book so real quickly we already said where you can get it why did you do the book i mean honestly man i've i've tried to do a book for a long time you know, I did a, a short devotional, I think, maybe like 15 years ago. But um, the reality was, no matter how many times I tried to write it, it never came out the way I wanted to. And I knew if I couldn't do it in excellence, then I just wasn't going to do it. Uh, it wasn't until I had a conversation with somebody and they said, I, I just shared my frustration. Like, I want to do this. I need to do this. I know exactly how and what the angle will be. I just can't get it from point A to point B. They said, well, why don't you just record yourself and then transcribe the audio and, and then you'll get it out Wait the way a minute. you want to say it. Who said that? A couple of people had hinted at it, but when I was on a, on a trip with World Vision to India, okay, okay. Um, her name is Lisa Johnson, and she actually works developing speakers. She develops communicators. And she talks a lot about brain hemispheres and, like, how the brain operates as far as communication goes. So she, I was just like, hey, this is what I want to do, but I can't do it. She said, well, just why don't you do it this way? And when she said that, the light bulb came on. I'm like, oh, my God, I think I talk all day. Like, talking is not a problem. I said, but, I said, but you know, if I do that, I'm like, how do I make this work? And 
basically what, what happened is from there is once I transcribed it, it read terrible. Like it read like a speech or something. Right, <laughs> so I was like, right. Nobody wants to read this. Nobody reads speeches. Um, and then I talked to a guy who had done written a lot of my bios. He's an artist. He's a, a He's one of these rare guys that's a great writer, but he's also a great artist, but also works in the crowdfund department too. And he's also my age. And we were label mates at one point. So um, I was like, if anybody's going to figure out what I'm trying to do, he's the one. So I would, I gave him one of the transcripts. He read it. He's like, oh, I know exactly what you're trying to say. He rewrote it, reinterpreted it a little bit. And then I read it one time. I'm like, you just, now it reads the way it should read. Mm. And so I was basically paying him per story. And we just, I just started going with it. Like once that, once I got that formula, I was like, done. I could do this. This book is definitely doable. There it is. And, uh, and then I would go, I, I went back and redid an edit, you know, and then I had my intern go and check for typos. And then I my last two things, which weren't really a plan, is I went back and put pictures in with the story. Mm, which is important. And then, yeah, and I didn't even think of it. I'm like, a gallery at the end or something. But I'm like, no, wait, I have pictures related to the story. Like, that makes sense. And so then I, once I had that, I'm like, oh, this looks great. And I paid somebody to like, you know, design it nicely. And then I said, the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go in and annotate the pictures the way I would do it. Like, just with dumb little, you know, notes on it. So, and I wanted the chapter, the story to feel immersive. Like, mm. it's, you're not just reading it, you're immersing yourself in it. So that's right. why I went and got a quote from somebody that was there and that's why I put a song as a soundtrack you know for that chapter mm -hmm. so again you know you read only with your eyes but you hear with your ears you feel with physical so I was like man if you can hit all the senses it's gonna be way better man and then I realized audiobooks were just a whole nother thing and then it's like that became a whole nother angle to go with too so like you know it's been a real learning experience but to be honest with you it's the easiest thing I've done Wow, wow. You know, it was not, it was effortless. Effortless victory. And it's called Boom. What Happened Was. KJ52book.com. You heard him. He talked about money. Go get the book. Here is heart. If you ever see him do another crowdfunding, make sure you help fund it. Yo, this your man Brinson. Follow him, KJ52, on everything. You heard him here. <laughs> Support the man of God. You got chasing yeah. a gnaw. Real quick, before we get into this insert from the book, make sure you go download Reversing Tomorrow and go to Amazon and pick up 10 things every Christian hip-hop artist should know. KJ, let's go. Chapter 15. Dear Slim, when I was jumping into the battle circuit, Golden Child and I were heading to South Beach. We went to DJ Khaled's pirate radio station where we were supposed to open up for the Beat Nuts. One of the guys who was part of the crew was named A.I., he said to me, yo, man, you got to check out my boy Eminem from Detroit. We were freestyling live on the air for a mainstream station. I was in the moment. And I just remember thinking in the back of my head, yeah, dude, another white rapper, who cares? He quoted me one of his lyrics, and I really wasn't impressed. I remember thinking real clearly, no white rapper from Detroit is ever going to make it. At that time, hip-hop was ultra-regional. Now, you can flash forward a year or so, I'm starting to put my stuff into stores on consignment, really hustling. I was all in on the independent tip. I remember going into a store and seeing his tape right there on the counter, and it was free, so I ended up taking one. I remember listening to it on the way back home and thinking, this is just pure white boy shock rap. 
I mean, you couldn't deny the skills, but in my head, I was just thinking about the challenges that I faced as being a white rapper. And I just questioned if he would ever be accepted. White rappers in the 90s kind of had to fall into a very few neat categories. You either kind of the rap rock guy like the Beastie Boys, or you the crazy ethnic rappers like House of Pain, or you the underground white rappers like Third Base. And so I pondered shock rap from a white guy's perspective. In my mind, the rapper would have to be so out there that people just wouldn't think to test him. So I sat back and I observed Eminem's career, watching to see if it would actually work. Now, I recorded my album in 1998, and his album came out in 1999. I had been sitting on my indie album, which eventually became 7th Avenue two years later on a major label. So it was 2000 by the time it dropped, and Eminem had already been out for a bit. Now, I remember performing at this spot in Texas, and this was the first time I'd ever heard anybody say that I sounded like Eminem. People were talking about me, and I just kind of shrugged it off, chalking it up to the typical white rapper comparisons that I had to deal with for years. But little by little, it began to happen over and over and over. And I thought, if you're telling me that I'm just trying to copy Eminem, that's impossible. My record was started a year before his ever came out. There was no plan ever to copy him. And I never had the intention to become the Christian version of him, even after the fact, even if the Christian market just has a wonderful habit of branding artists as the faith-based version of another artist. But I really took my craft seriously, especially from an MC perspective. So the more this began to happen, the more I began to get frustrated. I said, the only way for me to really handle this is just to address the whole thing in a song. Now, it was very popular back then to do the mixtape thing, where you take another person's beat, then you rap over their beat to address them. I said, I'm not going to go and diss Eminem. I'm just going to address this whole thing in a song. We were from similar backgrounds, only I had found Christ. I went over it many times in my head, and I felt like this was the best way to kill the noise, so to speak. So that's truly all Dear Slim was. I wrote it in 2000, never intending to put it out. Now flash forward a couple months and I get dropped from my label. I was floating around labelist, trying to get back into the industry. I ended up performing Dear Slim one single time and people basically just lost their minds when I performed it. I was blown away because the song didn't even have a hook. Verses were super long and I was convinced that it would never work at radio. Yet somehow or another, the song struck a nerve that I had never experienced before. People kept coming up to me asking me, where can I hear that song? When are you going to put it out? So when I finally got my second record deal with Tooth & Nail, I had to re-record the song just because of the demand for it. Again, there was never any real intention behind the track, truth be told. I didn't even think he'd hear it. I finally got around to recording it and I put it out in 2001 and I was just really struggling to pay bills. I was rocking as many shows as I could and a couple weeks after it came out, A guy walks up to me and he says, Hey, you don't know me, but last night I was at the Video Music Awards and I gave Eminem your album. He went on to tell me that he was a road pastor for POD. He had prayed and he saw all all of Eminem's bodyguards just disappear right after he prayed. Like they all walked away. He walked up to him and he said, Hey, you know that song, Stan? Eminem responded, Yeah. He said, Well, this guy right here, he's got a song like that. It's similar, but he has a message for you. And Eminem asked, Well, is he dissing me in the song? The road pastor said, no, he's just got something you need to hear in it. So he took the CD and he walked out with it. My mind was blown away because there's no way I ever thought in a million years he would ever hear it. I mean, it was direct evidence that God can do amazing things with unamazing people and carry your music to places that you'd never imagine. Now, flash forward a couple more months. We shot the video. We dropped the video. We sent the video off to MTV2, not thinking they'd ever play it. And then we forgot all about it. I was in traffic in Toronto, Canada when I get a phone call from the record label. 
They told me that MTV's TRL was going to play my video that very day and they were going to make it controversial. Now, I was on the phone with my wife and she was holding it up to the TV set so I could hear what was happening. So I just sat there and I listened to the host of TRL rip me apart. They talked about how I dissed Eminem and I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, this is where it's going to end. My career is never going to go any further. I jump ahead a couple years and I'm getting dissed by Christian and mainstream rappers over the whole thing. So I write Dear Slim Part 2 to sum up what I wanted to say a little better and just pretty much to put the whole thing to bed. It was never about a gimmick or trying to make lightning strike twice. I just want to be perfectly clear about that. Then I received an email from a prison guard and he said, Hey, you don't know me, but I've been sharing the gospel with Kim Mathers, Eminem's ex-wife, in jail. And I'd like to give her your music. So I said, I'll go one step further. I began to write her letters while she was in jail. The best thing about it was the guy gave it to her in the jail cell. He would print them off. He would hand them to her. Then he'd tell me what she said back. I was having this conversation with Kim Mathers through the prison guard, and he played my songs. He even played Dear Slim for her. He told me that one of the songs actually brought her to tears and how much she appreciated the line that I was praying for her in Eminem. I promised myself I wasn't going to use this story to give myself a pat on the back, so I kept it quiet for years. I never told anybody about it. And all the while, I was getting dragged through the mud in the headlines. Then VH1 decided they were going to put out a show called The 40 Worst Moments in Hip Hop and they make me number 26, simply for praying for Eminem and trying to be a light in all this. Wow. I've had this turmoil over this whole thing again because it was just something I wrote on a whim, not thinking it would ever get to him, but he and Kim Mathers, they're real people. They need Jesus just like I do. The minute I start to become a person who tries to exploit someone's celebrity for my own gain, I've missed the point. Again, I I really thought the whole thing was over at that point. You flash forward a couple more years, I get another email and it says, hey, you don't know this, but guess what? I think Eminem just responded to your Dear Slim song. Now keep in mind, this is nine years after I wrote it. He talked about it in a song called Be Careful What You Wish For. In the song, he tells the story of a fan who'd been praying for him, how he had had that weighing on his mind heavy. And you know, he said that he appreciated the prayers, but he already had God on his side. I can't say for exact certain that that line is about me, but it sure sounds like it. Again, it was never about anything except for just to try and share who Christ is in my life. But maybe in a small way, it did feel like a validation. The irony about the whole situation from top to bottom is that it just shows that God can do anything with the most insignificant people. Also, he has the ability to take the insignificant things that we do, these little lyrics we scribble on a piece of paper and blow it up bigger than we could ever imagine. If you would have told me that a song that I wrote at 2 a.m. in 2000 would put me on the biggest platform possible, that it would connect me with the biggest rapper of all time, I would have said you're crazy. But that's exactly what God does. He does amazing things with very unamazing people. Godchasers.com, baby. Make sure you subscribe to the Godchasers podcast.